0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable, because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? I'm good, man. Good. It is warm outside, finally and finally and it is staying bright longer so y'all may hear my neighbors revving their motorcycles um (laughs) yeah they've already been up to it for some reason they like to sit out in front of their house and rev their motorcycles and not go anywhere so if you hear it that's what it is and i apologize and (laughs) i'm going to apologize for him you know but because he ain't gonna do it no he won't apologize (laughs) he'll just say you're welcome um But we wanted to uh, let you guys know, if y'all don't know already, we have our new logo up on merch. We got t-shirts, we got stickers, we got everything. So go over to graveyardpodcast.com and click on the tab and go get you some t-shirts. I'm wearing one right now. Yeah, man. And it looks awesome. I figured I I would wear it so Matt could look at it all night. Yeah, because mine hadn't come in yet. Right. Make him (laughs) jealous. (laughs) Um, Also, our Patreon episode is up. So if you're interested, go over there and donate, and you can get access to the Patreon episode. It's basically just us telling personal stories and kind of hanging out and talking, just kind of letting y'all know what led us to the point that we're at today.
1: Right, and we want to thank Edwin Hernandez-Gunn, Tiffany Vyasinen, Kat Caboodle, Nicole Gant, Brienne Barr. Heather Marie Adkins, Marie Payne, Jason Peverly, Whitney Schlatter, Schlatter. Whitney, I, I
0: apologize. I,
1: I'm, I'm, I'm butchering your name.
0: Southern tongue. Sh-
1: Sh- Schladiger, I'm hoping. Uh, Jenny Becker, Heidi Manti, Sharon Murdoch, Donna Smith, and Desdemona. Thank you guys so much for your contributions to the show. It's things like this that allow uh, Adam and myself to continue this.
0: Oh, absolutely. We appreciate it very much, and you guys just have no idea. But speaking of thanks, we are drawing ever so near a hundred thousand downloads. Man, that's unbelievable. It is it really it's it's just insane. And what we want to do as a thank you is when we get to a hundred thousand downloads, we are going to. Put a thing up on our website so that you can go enter your name and your email address. We will pick a day that we will draw from these names and the winner, we're going to send something. So. I'm gonna look around my house. Maybe an old band T-shirt, <laughs> or you know, I got like a stuffed animal or something. Yeah, that nobody wants your old
1: junk. You I, got laying oh, around the
0: house. <laughs> well, fine. We'll have to figure. Se- All right, here's a huge Kleenex box. <laughs> All right. So seriously, what uh, we we want to really tell you guys? Thank you, and not just give you junk laying around Adam's right. house. So what we're thinking about doing is we're going to put together like a Graveyard Tales gift box, like a grave casket or something like that, and it's going to be a whole bunch of merch, stickers and all sorts of stuff. I'm not going to exactly say what it is just yet because we still got to figure that out. We're
1: still putting stuff in it.
0: Yeah. So whenever we get to 100,000 downloads, we will let you guys know. We'll make a big announcement on all of our Twitter, Facebooks. Um, social medias instagrams all the s's and we'll let you guys know that we have hit 100k and to go over to our website and enter your name and your email address if you win we will then contact you through email and get your shipping address so no need to worry about entering shipping address or anything now so I know some of y'all would worry that we'd stalk you, but we're not going to do that. We promise. We're not stalkers. No, no. Um,
1: But if you want, if you want us to get there faster and get this drawing underway, share us, tell, tell your friends, tell your family, uh, you know, invite people into the graveyard group. Um, That's how we're going to gain, you know, more listeners. That's how we're going to get here to, uh, to a hundred thousand even faster and, that's going to get us to this uh, this giveaway even right.
0: faster. Right, and so. believe me, you're going to want what we put in that box, and if you don't, Adam will keep it because Adam wants it. <laughs> That's right. So if, if you win and you just go, no, you know what, Adam, I don't want it, I'll say, okay, thank you, and I'll keep it. Yeah. Um, but speaking of all the social medias, if you're not following us on the social medias you need to, go over and follow us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Um, if, you, if you follow us on Twitter, uh, you'll, you know, get updates of the different shows that are coming out. And if you're not following us there, you will miss out on stuff like a nine hour Twitter thread with fellow podcasters about bagged milk. <laughs> That's all I did yesterday. Bagged milk. Bagged milk. Well, we were talking to some <laughs> of our friends in uh, Canada, uh, you know, the double density guys into the portal and nighttime podcast and some of canada we found out has bagged milk some does not but then what blew my mind even more was that there's some people in the us who have bagged milk and i've yeah, never why not? i've never had milk out of a bag so anyway it just it went on for 9 hours and if you're not following us on twitter you missed that so uh, go over there and follow us you yeah. you want to see the milk baggery I'm that curious, happens i'm curious is
1: this is this the only way i mean do you have to choose well i want my milk to come in a bag as opposed to a carton or a jug well i'm, I'm like if if i've got a choice i i'm probably just going to stick with a jug because right. what what am i going to do with a bag you
0: know <laughs> well <laughs> what we found out and it took 9 hours to figure this out but um, in some areas all you get is bagged milk in other areas, you can choose between bag or carton. Mm. And I, I I just think to me that a bag bagged milk is a little redundant because we get it. It's in a jug and we go from there. If you get it in a bag, you've got to take that bag and then put it in a jug. Yeah. And then, you know, so it just it seems redundant and wasteful to me. But, you know, I'm sure there is a good logical reason for it. There might be. I just have not heard it. There might be.
1: And I can't come up with one myself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think the logical reason is so that we can talk about it on Twitter. Right. So. um, But
1: but yeah, you know, when we were looking at this and and we saw the the ketchup Doritos. Oh, Lord. I, I just, I don't know how I feel about it. I guess I feel better about ketchup flavored Doritos than, you know, biscuits and gravy potato chips that we have here.
0: Yeah. You know I, I don't know man i like the biscuits and gravy Do you really? yeah they're salty I, see, I, I, mean,
1: sh- I shy away from all those weird flavors oh no, they were and, good. and i'm and I'm the guy that will try any of that new flavor stuff but mm-hmm. you know strange flavored potato chips I'm i i, I, I don't know i,
0: I it just something about it just
1: says no nah,
0: yeah. isn't right it didn't taste like biscuits and gravy but <laughs> it tasted like a salty kind of milky potato chip and I was fine with that yeah okay you know yeah. And salty milky potato chips in a bag.
1: I guess salty you know. milky potato chips doesn't really look good on the on the bag.
0: No, it doesn't. You gotta <laughs> you gotta say something else. But I I was looking yesterday and I hadn't told you this, Matt, but yesterday um I saw an ad that it was like a for sale ad and it said radio for sale, one dollar volume stuck on full. And <laughs> I said to myself, I said, you know, I can't turn this down. So, you're welcome. That's, that's all I got. Oh, man. See, that, you know,
1: we try to do this as much off the cuff as we can, but some of the stuff we have to talk about before we, we actually hit the record button. And and I didn't see that coming. You don't think that was I thought that oh, was no, a good Oh, no, I thought it was good. I just, it caught me off guard because I, I didn't... You know, for a minute, I thought, did Adam really buy a, a dollar radio? Yeah. And then, then it clicked. And I was like, <laughs> man. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so you want an honest reaction? You got
0: it. <laughs> right. So speaking of honest reactions, an honest reaction is to thank you guys for reviews. Right. And we have gotten several reviews here in the past few days that we wanted to mention right uh dolly online and dolly your dad is probably pretty cool to hang out with yeah and uh two macabre ladies and you know if we knew any wendigo lullaby lullabies for you we'd sing them to you we we really would so yeah
1: the one the one i had as a child i can't i can't remember the words to now
0: well that's a shame (laughs) mama d9 so, Mama, you must not have seen our picks because we're silly looking in the picks. Pretty much, yeah. Permaze. Yeah. Uh, Permaze, per uh, just to comment, our families don't let us tell these stories at Thanksgiving. So, no. you know, if if you get to, that's wonderful. We don't. I did it once. Yeah, not anymore. Once. Yeah. <laughs> and Snow White 521. Snow White, we appreciate the fact that you are hooked, but just know there are no programs to help you break the Graveyard Tales addiction just yet. Right. So yeah. we apologize for that.
1: We just we just have stuff that will
0: feed it. Right. So we're, <laughs> we're pushers and we apologize for that. Um, but before we get into the heart of the episode tonight, let's take a quick potty break and hear from Haunted Heart and fiercely altered perspective.
1: Thank you for letting us in. We are Are the Haunted Heart, two best friends joined together by a twisted fascination with magic, madness, and the macabre. Join us on our journey where where we are sometimes deep. deep.
0: Did the music just cut out? Oh, shit. I can't hear it, Kenny. Is it? I can't hear it either. (sighs) Did you not get a clip that was long enough for the promo? Oh, God.
1: Oh, you know what? You know what? F*** it. We're trash
0: talent. That's a fair point. This is a podcast for people who like trash. And we are trash. And we like to talk about all things macabre, witchy, true crime, and anything else our little haunted hearts fancy.
1: So, join us for new episodes every Wednesday.
0: Tune into the Haunted Heart wherever you listen to podcasts. And, and as, as always, stay spooky. spooky. Hi, I'm Quinn. And I'm Ember. And this is the Fat Pod, Also known as the Fiercely Altered Perspective Podcast. Here we take topics and put our own twist on them, giving you another perspective to stories that you know and love, and some you've never heard about. Combining our interests, deep research, humor, and storytelling into one complex podcast. Talking heavy on true crime, plus other great topics such as vampires, cults, cannibalism, aliens, conspiracy theories, mythology, folklore, creepy history, how the hell we haven't managed to completely kill off the human race. You can subscribe to us anywhere podcasts can be found simply by searching for fiercely altered perspective. Be sure to follow us on social media all at the fat pod and join our Facebook group, the FAP lounge to join our discussion threads to give us your perspective on each episode and get a chance to get a shout out on the next show. All right, Matt, we're back at it now. What are we talking about tonight, Matt? Okay, tonight we are going to be discussing time travel. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm.
1: So don't worry. Well, worry a little.
0: Yeah, I'd worry a little.
1: Because, uh, you know, we weren't trying to flip the graveyard into science class, right? But it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna sound that way for a little bit. Yeah. But I think uh, when you, when you understand the, the concept of how this might or might not be possible, then it makes the stories that we're going to share, uh, a little more understandable. Right. And, uh, and we've got some cool stories to share, but, um, but Adam's going to teach us about, uh. How to travel in time. <laughs>
0: yeah, he's going to try. He, he, he's built the time machine. I have. <laughs> and it looks just like a telephone booth, weirdly <laughs> enough. Um, okay. We have morphed into a Doctor Who episode. Do- Doctor Who? Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I'm asking. Doctor Who?
1: Yeah, that guy. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Doctor no. Who.
0: Doctor Who? That's the question. <laughs> Trying to start the who's on first thing here. I know. Yeah, I'm I'm not going there. (laughs) Not going to fall for that one. Fine. Okay. So what I've been doing is um, to understand time travel, you've got to understand Einstein's theories of special and general relativity. And some of y'all may know what that is. Some of y'all may not. Um, what has broken my brain this week is trying to put it in a simple enough form that we can get it out in the beginning of this episode and it not seem like a science podcast. Like, right. uh, you know, we're not radio lab. We can't pull that off. Right. So we're going to do it in the easiest, most simple way possible. So this is going to be time travel for dummies, Right. Time travels for dummies by dummies. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. (laughs) So so the both the theories of special and general relativity they discuss a, a a thing called time dilation, which states that time measured along different trajectories is affected by difference in either gravity or velocity. Now each of these affect time in a different way. This means that. Time to someone moving is experienced differently than someone who is sitting still. So if you're moving fast, then you're going to experience time a lot differently than me sitting here. So a minute for you on the highway is different than a minute for me. Keep that in mind. So basically, if you were to take a few trips around the earth in the space shuttle, traveling at the 28,000 kilometers per hour, a little less time would have passed for you than for someone standing on the Earth because you're traveling faster. And over a six-month period of doing this, astronauts will have aged 0.005 seconds less than people on Earth. And that doesn't seem like much. But here's kind of where it starts getting a little crazy. Time dilation itself doesn't start taking effect till you get to at least 75% the speed of light. So going at the 28,000 kilometers per hour, you see a little bit. But now if you were to ramp up your speed and get to about 75% the speed of light, then you would start really seeing the effects of time dilation. And it gets crazier and crazier the faster you go. It's just an exponential increase. The closer you get to the speed of light, the slower time goes. At the speed of light, time stops. So in theory, you would think if you were to go faster than the speed of light, time would reverse if you're going along that same thought pattern, right? Closer you get to speed of light, the slower it goes. And once you get faster, then it starts backing up on you. Now, the problem is we can't get to that point. We have nothing that will go that fast. There's nothing uh, humanly. Yeah. It's not humanly possible to get to the speed of light. So we will never get to that point yet. Yet. That's correct. Now that we know of. Right. That we know of because potentially some stories might shatter that.
1: Asked me yesterday.
0: What? (laughs) <laughs> so, also think about in time dilation, not only does time shrink at speeds close to the speed of light, but so does distance. So, for example, if you're traveling at 90% the speed of light to a point that's 11 light years away, you'd expect the trip to take you 11 years, right? Yeah. Or thereabouts. That's the idea. Right. So, to a stationary observer, your ship would take about 11 years to get there. But for you on the ship, because you're the one traveling that fast, it would only take you 4.4 years of your life. So the distance and the time shrinks when you're traveling that fast. So this will play in later into the stories and some of the theories. So keep yeah. that in mind.
1: Yeah. And if you, if you dig, like me, the the, the space horror flicks, mm-hmm. they, they always seem to involve people asleep on a spaceship that's got like a, a five or six light year journey, and they they put them in this cryo sleep, mm-hmm. so that they can make the journey and they don't age. You know, they they feel like they just woke up from a nap. You know, they've been asleep for five years right. and stuff like that.
0: So, well, and technically, um, some scientists have said yes, cryo cryogenically. Freezing someone is technically time travel because you're traveling through time and you wouldn't be aging. Yeah. So, but that's not what we're talking about. That's a whole nother thing. Going back to the distance and time shrinking, you're saying, well, this isn't really time travel. Well, in essence, it is because if you return to Earth after this 90% speed of light trip, you would have only aged nine years, about four and a half there and four and a half back, Right. But everyone else on Earth would have aged 22 years. So theoretically, you did travel into the future by a little bit, 13 years. But that's still relatively time travel, right? This just kind of touches on one type of time travel. Now, most physicists say it's highly improbable due to many reasons to travel into the past. I'll get... To that here in a little bit uh with what stephen hawking said but if it is possible one of the ways that it could work is through wormholes okay so hold on to your brain here and we're not talking about the ones that you find in your yard or your apple yeah so this is it's called a transversible wormhole now how this is possible and there again i'm trying to put this in the most simplest form but you can go look up Transversible Wormholes. Google it. You'll find this information and a lot more. Um, Basically, what it is, is you create two wormhole entrances. Okay. Somehow, you attach them both to a spaceship. Now, you set the clock on both of these wormhole entrances at, let's say, 2000. It's the year 2000. This will make the math easier. Then you accelerate one of these entrances to near light speed, and then you bring it back. That one would read year 2004. The stationary one would read 2012. So if someone then entered the accelerated entrance and came out the other one, they would exit in the year 2004, thus traveling eight years into the past. But you've got to create two wormholes. You've got to accelerate one to near light speed. You've got to bring it back and then you can do all this. So do we see why it's getting very difficult to yeah. say that time travel is a thing?
1: Yeah. Step one, find a wormhole, right? Step two, find another one. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Man, it was hard enough to find the first one. Right. <laughs> but basically what this is, is it's a loop from one point in space time to another. You can never travel further back than the initial creation of that wormhole or that time machine. So a lot of the physicists and everything say that's the reason that we haven't seen time travelers now, that we have no proof of time travel now is because we do not have a time machine now. But let's say next year we create a time machine. Pretty much instantly from that point, you will have time travelers coming back because they can then reach that point, but they can't reach any further back than the initial inception of the time machine. So Einstein said that another way that time could slow down for people is around an object with massive gravity. So basically, if you were to circle a neutron star or a black hole right at the edge, time would slow down incredibly for you. So if you were to take a trip to a black hole, you would circle the black hole a little bit and then come back. Then time would you would have traveled into the future because time would have slowed down immensely for you.
1: So if I go on Travelocity and put. Black holes near me.
0: Mm-hmm. It'll,
1: it'll show me the best deal on how to get to quite a black Quite possibly.
0: Home. Quite possibly. That <laughs> gnome is good. So he could probably find you something.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, heck, you know, they got a talking gnome. You know, where, where did he come from? Yeah. I,
0: I guarantee you he's from a, the future. A black hole. Yeah. You know. You
1: know, this is what you find.
0: So we've looked there. Those are the couple ways that they say, theoretically, time travel would be possible. And it is pretty difficult to wrap your mind around, but what I've got now is Stephen Hawking did an interview on time travel, and I just want to read y'all verbatim his article here that he did on, on time travel because it's pretty simple. He put it fairly simply, and I think it explains why most people think that time travel is not possible. And I'm basically just kind of shooting holes in all of Matt's stories right now. (laughs) And I apologize for that. So he says, time travel was once considered scientific heresy. I used to avoid talking about it for fear of being labeled as a crank. But these days, I'm not so cautious. In fact, I'm more, more like the people who built Stonehenge. I'm obsessed by time. If I had a time machine, I'd visit Marilyn Monroe in her prime or drop in on Galileo as he turned his telescope to the heavens. Perhaps I'd even travel to the end of the universe to find out how our whole cosmic story ends. Now, Nothing is flat or solid. If you look closely enough at anything, you'll find holes and wrinkles in it. It's a basic physical principle, and it even applies to time. Even something as smooth as a pool ball has tiny crevices, wrinkles, and voids. Now, it's easy to show that this is true in the first three dimensions, but trust me, it's also true of the fourth dimension. There are tiny crevices, wrinkles, and voids in time. Down at the smallest of scales, smaller even than molecules, smaller than atoms, we get to a place called the quantum foam. This is where wormholes exist. Tiny tunnels or shortcuts through space and time constantly form, disappear, and reform within this quantum world, and they actually link two separate places and two different times. Unfortunately, these real-life time tunnels are just a billion trillion trillionth of a centimeter across, way too small for a human to pass through. But here's where the notion of wormhole time travel machines is leading. Some scientists think it may be possible to capture a wormhole and enlarge it many trillions of times to make it big enough for a human or even a spaceship to enter. Given enough power and advanced technology, perhaps a giant wormhole could even be constructed in space. I'm not saying it can be done, but if it could be, it would be a truly remarkable device. One end could be near Earth and the other far, far away near some distant planet. Theoretically, a time tunnel or wormhole could do even more than take us to other planets. If both ends were in the same place and separated by time instead of distance, a ship could fly in and come out still near Earth, but in the distant past. Maybe dinosaurs would witness the ship coming in for a landing. Now let's imagine I'm throwing a party a welcome reception for future time travelers. But there's a twist. I'm not letting anyone know about it until after the party has happened. I've drawn up an invitation, giving the exact coordinates in time and space. I'm I'm hoping copies of it, in one form or another, will be around for many thousands of years. Maybe one day someone living in the future will find the information on the invitation and use a wormhole time machine to come back to my party, proving that time travel will one day be possible. In the meantime, my time traveler guests should be arriving any moment now. Five, four, three, two, one. But as I say this, no one has arrived. What a shame. I was hoping at least a future Miss Universe was going to step through the door. So, so why this universe how
1: apropos?
0: uh, uh, So why didn't the experiment work? One of the reasons might be because of a well-known problem with time travel to the past. The problem of what we call paradoxes. Paradoxes are fun to think about. The most famous one is usually called the grandfather paradox. Now, I don't know if y'all know, I'm going to stop his story here for a minute, but if you don't know what the grandfather paradox is, the grandfather paradox is you go back in time to kill your grandfather. So you go and you push your grandfather off a cliff and he dies. This happened before he met his, before he met your grandmother. So if he never met your grandmother to never give birth to your father, you would never exist. So you would never be able to go back in time and kill him. Thus creating a paradox. Now, this goes to the cause and effect thing. Everything in the universe has a cause and has an effect. You can't have one without the other. And if anything disrupts that, most physicists believe that the universe then negates it. It will not allow it to happen if it messes up the cause and effect loop. That That's going to the why you can't travel in time.
1: Maybe this is why John Connor could never...
0: Get rid of the termination. It's most likely possible. <laughs> um, he says, I have a new, simpler version I call the mad scientist paradox. He said, I don't like the way scientists in movies are often described as mad, but in this case, it's true. This chap is determined to create a paradox, even if it cost him his life. Now, imagine somehow he built a wormhole. A time tunnel that stretches just one minute into the past. Through the wormhole, the scientist can see himself as he was one minute ago. But what if our scientist uses the wormhole to shoot his earlier self? He's now dead. So who fired the shot? Oh, so it's a paradox. That's, it's just, that's
1: one of those things you're like, stop. I, I gotta, I gotta think
0: about yeah, this for. A minute. If you need to pause it, pause our episode here and think about it, do it. Um, But he says it's just it's one of those things that just doesn't make sense. It's the sort of situation that gives cosmologists nightmares. This kind of time machine would violate a fundamental rule that governs the entire universe that causes happen before effects and never the other way around. He says, I believe things can't make themselves impossible if they could then there'd be nothing to stop the whole universe from descending into chaos. So I think something will always happen to prevent the paradox, just like we were talking before. Somehow, there must be a reason why our scientist will never find himself in a situation where he could shoot himself. And in this case, I'm sorry to say, the wormhole itself is the problem. In the end, I think a wormhole like that one can't exist. And the reason for that is feedback. If you've ever been to a rock gig, you'll probably recognize that screeching noise. That's feedback. What causes it is simple. Sound enters the microphone. It's transmitted along the wires, made louder by the amplifier, and comes out the speakers. But if too much of the sound from the speakers goes back into the mic, it goes around and around in a loop, getting louder each time. If no one stops it, feedback can destroy the sound system. The same thing will happen with a wormhole, only with radiation instead of sound. As soon as the wormhole expands, natural radiation will enter it and end up in a loop. The feedback will become so strong it destroys the wormhole. So, although tiny wormholes do exist, and it may be possible to inflate one someday, it won't last long enough to be of any use. As a time machine. That's the real reason no one could come back to my time party. So Hawking said it way better than I ever could. Yeah. You know, um, he basically blew holes in all time travel theory right there. However, there are a lot of people out there that do believe time travel is possible. We are just not there yet. Yeah. Because. Like Matt was saying, with, when I was talking about anything reaching the speed of light, Matt said yet, and that's a very profound word for this episode, is because just because we haven't done it yet doesn't mean we will never do it. Right. You know, it's like one of my favorite quotes from Neil deGrasse Tyson. The universe is under no obligation to make sense to you. So just because time travel doesn't make sense to you doesn't mean it will never exist. Right. And you know, in my opinion, I don't think just being honest, I don't think we have developed that technology yet, so I don't know that we would have time travelers yet. Yeah. But Matt has some pretty interesting stories that will contradict my theory.
1: Right. And and you know, the stories I'm going to I'm going to share tonight are not by people that necessarily believe time travel is possible. They believe they've done it. And, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, time, time travel and time slips. And hopefully when we tell these stories, we'll we'll kind of explain what the difference may or may not be. Um, But, you know, Adam touched on something that is, is really important because if, if you, if you go back 200 years in history and you think about explaining to somebody then the technology that we have now, can if you can imagine what would go through their head. Right. I mean, if, if you're going to tell somebody, I can put this thing in your hand and you can instantly communicate with anyone Anywhere in the world like that, you can talk to them, you can see their face, Mm -hmm. you know, in this little window in your hand and, and have a conversation with them. I can, I can have a a document in my hand and I can put it in a machine and somebody halfway around the world can be holding the same document within, you know, minutes, Mm -hmm. you know, that we're gonna we're gonna get from point A to point B inside you know a machine that will accelerate faster than any any horse you know or any human can travel you know and and eventually you know we're gonna be able to fly through the air like a bird.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They're gonna look at you like you are insane. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So if we if we fast forward to The present day, and and somebody's looking at you saying, in the future, we're going to be able to do this, we're going to be able to put, you know, a colony on Mars, or we're going to be able to get inside an elevator and be on the other side of the country within a few minutes. It sounds completely absurd to us, mm-hmm. but what we do today would sound totally ludicrous to somebody 200 years ago. So I do say yet, because if you can only just look at a small sh- snapshot of the technology that has been developed in the last 50 years, you know why? Why would anyone be so close-minded as to say? This is never going to happen.
0: Right. You Just know, the stuff we're using tonight to record this. Right. Just, you know, 50 years ago, nobody would have believed. Yeah, exactly. Know? And you're absolutely right. Give it 200, 300 years from now. we There's no way we can fathom where we will be as a society. Right. So it's highly possible that everything we think is impossible yeah is possible sure you know? why not why not
1: i mean heck i've time traveled right in a way yeah you
0: know we I, all do every day
1: i got i got on a plane at 9:30 and landed at 9:30 mhm you know It was the same time on the clock. I mean, I think everybody knows that if you've crossed time zones, you know how this works. You know, you leave one place on a plane and and it's an hour flight and you land in a different time zone and it's the same time as you took off on your watch. You know, it's not real, but it gives you an idea that, oh, I I can see where maybe there's some ideas that. You know, what we look at as time is it, it it's relative to to where you are and what you're doing. And just like Adam said, you know, time is different to somebody moving than it is to somebody standing still. Right. You know, um, you know, the 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 whole idea of time flies when you're having fun. Um, You know, everybody's heard that. But how many times have you been in a situation where you look up and you go, Holy cow! It's it's ten o'clock. I've I've been at this for three hours. Mm-hmm. And then, how many times have you been in a situation where you're you're waiting on something? You you know you're 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 waiting to hear news. And man, it's I just I can't. It feels like hours have passed, and it's only been thirty minutes. Right. You know. So you know, time is is something that you know we as humans really have only scratched the surface of any kind of understanding of
0: this. Yeah, a lot of scientists believed a long time ago that time was a very linear yeah. thing that it just traveled in a straight line like an arrow and now scientists believe it's more like a river, uh, a flowing river that speeds up and slows down and curves and back and forth. So if if we're finding these changes in the way time is measured, who's to say next year we won't find that wormhole? Yeah, that that little loop that allows us to go back in time or forward in time. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, um, well, let's talk about uh, some folks that that think they uh, they've actually experienced this. And when researching some of these stories, there's uh, th- there's a good amount out there. On people that have stories, unexplained stories. Sometimes they're 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 very very simple, very minor. Um, you know, some are really elaborate and and go into great detail about what they experienced. And um, I, I picked out the ones that came up most often, the the ones that hadn't been explained or uh, the, the ones that came from the most reputable sources because you know you, you start looking you do a google search on this you're going to you're going to see a lot of photos especially of ancient architecture that have what appears to be items that weren't around then um, you know hieroglyphics where somebody's holding a, a laptop or a, an astronaut in an ancient you know a modern day astronaut what what we think of when you think astronaut you know carved into the side of a you know a a sculpture that was done 300 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, wh- why is that there? You know, we, we don't know, but you know, so, some of these things are, are hoaxes. You know, some of these things were, were not hoaxes per se. They were just added after the fact. Um, and, and some of them, it, it's obvious that this was probably something else that, you know, was available to, you know, ancient cultures. But we don't know what it was, and it looks like something we have today. So, well, well they couldn't have had this. Well, they, you know, it's it's not like you're seeing a a carving of Anubis holding an iPhone with apps on it or something. You know, it, it's it's not in that much detail. We haven't seen it yet. We haven't seen it yet. Maybe it's there. You know, it could be, but... You know, there. You know, and we get into all the theories that aliens help build the pyramids and all that kind of stuff. And that's that's for another show. But we actually have uh, a show
0: coming up soon.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I wanted to really, really get into some head scratching stories that, you know, really they sound legit. What these what these people saw, what they experienced, they believe. You know they they don't none of these are really people that you would think would try to deceive anyone, so we're going to start with one that may may be the the most common that you'll come across because this this gentleman is so is so credible because of his background uh this is about uh Victor Goddard now Victor Goddard was a senior commander in the Royal Air Force during the second world war in nineteen thirty five He was flying to Edinburgh, Scotland. Now, before the flight, Goddard decided that he was going to land about halfway there. And there was an old Royal Air Force airfield called DREM. Now, as he approached the DREM airfield, he noticed that the airport looked as if it had been abandoned. And the, the runways were overgrown. And he even describes that there were cattle out wandering on the airfield, grazing. Um but he knew quickly, I can't land there. It's not in any condition, so I gotta keep going. So he that's what he did. He kept on going. As he was as he was flying, he encountered a storm. Now, the way that Goddard describes his storm and he said it was it was brutal. It was a severe storm. It was extremely hard to navigate. And Victor Goddard is widely considered to be, an expert pilot for the time. And he says he nearly crashed, you know, at least a few times, but was able to to maintain, and, you know, he, he, he comes out of it. And when he comes out, he says he sees a bright light. Once he goes through the bright light, he realizes he's approaching the Durham airfield again. So at this point, you know, he's on his way home and he knows this airfield is there. Um, he's, he's expecting it to look exactly how it did when he flew over it before. But it doesn't. It's different. said, so the runways were completely clear and there were actual planes parked on them. He stated that a few of the planes were biplanes, which he recognized. But at least one plane was totally unfamiliar to him as being a part of the Royal Air Force. He also noted that despite recognizing some of the planes, they were all painted yellow and bore the, the RAF insignia, the Royal Air Force insignia. So this was really peculiar to him because the RAF didn't use the color yellow on any of their planes at that time. Goddard also notes that he could see pilots on the airfield who all appeared to be wearing the same uniform. They were blue RAF uniforms, which Goddard had never seen before. And at this point, Goddard realizes that he was flying so low that they didn't, they didn't notice him. So, especially you know, pilots on the ground, a plane is flying low overhead. Somebody's going to look up you know, just to go, Hey, what's that? Okay. He says that nobody on the ground actually took notice of him, you know, flying. So this was kind of confusing to him. So he began to ascend and he says he flew into that same storm again, but this time it wasn't as severe. And so he came through it and he landed. And when he got home, you know, he, he shared his story. Now, this is this is when it gets real interesting. So the Royal Air Force did have planes painted yellow that would not be put into production until 1937, which was two years after Goddard's experience. And the blue pilots' uniforms, they too were used by the Royal Air Force in 1939 when Drem Air, Airfield was. Uh, was reactivated so he saw the DRIM you know airfield base four years in the future yellow planes blue uniforms so from 1935 it's overgrown it's abandoned essentially mm-hmm. four years later it looks exactly how he saw it in 1935 that's crazy yeah and you know We've discussed uh, people, uh, you know, questioning whether or not they should share a story based on their reputation. Right. And, you know, somebody that's a commander in the Royal Air Force, you know, lands his plane and says, hey, y'all listen to this story. Right. (laughs) You know, you've got to really, really believe this is what happened to you. Yep. For you to share this so that you're not thinking, man, I hold a pretty, you know, high position here. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: I can't sound like a lunatic. Yeah, they they you could know. think he was up there drinking, right. you know, drunk flying a plane. Right. Um so there's not
1: really been any any explanation as to to why he saw this. The the only possible reason was that you know, he he traveled forward in time about 4 years and and witnessed the air force base at that time in mm-hmm. 1939.
0: Um, and that would explain why nobody on the ground looked up and right, when he passed over right. because he they weren't actually there. It, you know it was kind of a or he was half in half out kind of thing. Yeah or or he wasn't there right. They were there,
1: but it, it's the idea that you're you're looking in a window. Mm-hmm. It's you know the um, the Ebenezer Scrooge idea right that I'm here. And i'm and i'm witnessing what's going on but i can't interact with these people
0: there's a veil between the two right of
1: them. and they're they're not i can see them but they they don't notice me you know even though i'm up here making a lot of noise mm-hmm. okay so uh, so so that's one story here's another one and this is i i really really i, I dug this story i mean i i, I really really liked it and it, it comes across in, in several different sources, and some have a little bit more detail, but the story in and of itself is, is pretty consistent. So this one happened in 1979. So a couple, Cynthia and Lynn Gisby, were vacationing together with another couple. They were driving from England to Spain. So they took off. They had never driven outside of England, so they're driving and they're driving through France on their way to Spain. It's getting late. They said roughly about 8 p.m. And the, the group decides we're going to stop for the night and get some rest. So let's let's find a hotel. So they, they start looking for a hotel around Monte Lamar. But all the hotels they stopped at were full. So they had to keep going. So as it got later... They came across an unpaved road, but it was lined with all these old-fashioned buildings and these street signs advertising a circus. So they, they took this road, and the couples eventually found a hotel that had a vacancy. And when they went in the hotel, they, they noticed some, some strange things. N- number one, they said the hotel had no phones and no elevators. The rooms were were equipped with wooden latches instead of traditional metal locks. It's 79. I mean, you know, they got deadbolts. Right. And they've got this wooden latch. Um, they described the beds as the sheets being made of like a really stiff, hard canvas-like material, and the mattresses were feather beds. They said that it started to get kind of cold, So they went to close the window and they realized the windows didn't have any glass in them. (laughs) Yeah. So strange, but they stayed. I was like, well, you know, maybe this is just, you know, it's, it's a theme hotel. You know, it's, it's a rustic French hotel. This is the experience. So they went downstairs, they had dinner and they described how wonderful the French cuisine was. In fact, they described the beer is, is tasting so fresh that it, it had to have been locally made. And everyone was very nice and very polite, but they did note that the silverware they were using at dinner was really, really old. Eh, strange, but they, they passed it off as, and eh, they're just keeping with the theme of the hotel. Mm-hmm. So they, they went to bed, slept that night, got up the next morning and went down for breakfast. Now, While eating breakfast in the lobby area, they see a woman come in the door dressed in, you know, turn of the century clothing, you know, a long dress, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s. They thought it was strange, but again, they pass it off. And then they saw two police officers come in and they were wearing what was described as a pre 1905 police uniform. Now I don't know if if French police uniforms went through a drastic change in 1905 um, that they they would know this, but I think it, it it I think they explain it more as they they did research on this after the fact. So they were they were finished eating and they decided we're get, you know we're ready to go we we'll get back on the road. So one of the people in the group asked one of the police officers where the nearest motorway was. And they said the policeman looked at him like he had no idea what they were talking about. Okay. So they they went to pay their bill, and they said the bill was for the food and the lodging came out to 19 francs, which in 1979 is the equivalent of about five U.S. dollars. Hmm. Okay. That's cheap.
0: Yeah, real cheap.
1: (laughs) Never seen a hotel room or a meal that cheap uh, in my lifetime. Um, And again, this was really strange, but they were so enamored with, you know, the hospitality and and the rustic style of the hotel that they thanked the manager and told him that they would they would be back, that they would come back on their way back to England from Spain. So they decided they wanted to take some pictures of the hotel and of themselves in front of the hotel. So they did that before they left. And so they left and they went on and they finished their vacation in Spain. And as they were coming back, they, they couldn't find the hotel again. You know, they searched around, searched around and finally just gave up and said, well, we, we got to get home. We, we can stay anywhere else. You know, it would have been cool to stay there, but let's keep going. So they get back home and when they have their, their pictures developed from their trip, the pictures that they took in and around the hotel didn't turn out. They didn't develop. Hmm. And it was almost like that part of the trip didn't exist. You know, they have pictures before they got there pictures after, but none of while they were staying in the hotel. So this confused them enough, but it was intriguing. It made them do a little bit further research. So they dug into the clothing and they researched the, the dress and the police uniforms. And so they confirmed that the dress was early 1900s and the, indeed the police uniforms uh, were also from that time period. So they went a little bit further. They looked into how much their stay cost them. They said, that from what they researched, food and lodging in the early 1900s would have cost somewhere around 19 francs or $5. So things were really starting to piece together. And and they actually had the idea, we've been in a time slip. You know, we, we experienced something that we, we weren't supposed to. So they decided after a while, let's go back. Let's go back and really search and hunt and find this hotel. So they did. And they found it. And when they found the hotel, the hotel was in ruins. And oddly enough, next door to the hotel were the remains of an old police station. And so they, they really thought, we, we've done this. We we've we've had a time slip, and so it, 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 the difference between a time slip and and time travel is a time slip can be described as as a person or a place or an object that reappears in the spot where it was in in past time in over over history, so. An easy way to think of this is if um, you know of a a building that was there in a spot for a long time, and progress and construction take that away, and you know it's gone, but you knew it was there, and you go back and you see it there again without any kind of explanation. You're just, did they rebuild it? Why is it back? And then when you go back to check, it's not there anymore. So like a a place, an object, a person, reappears in a spot in time that
0: is after where they would be. It's kind of like the Stephen Hawking theory of the Wormholes opening up randomly in space-time, but it's a wormhole large enough that you can step through temporarily back to that time period, Yeah, or like a tear in the cloth of space-time, and basically you're seeing through into the past.
1: Right, right. And so this is different from Victor Goddard's experience, because what he saw was actually Four years in the future. So that doesn't sound much like a time slip. That actually sounds like he jumped forward in time. Mm -hmm. Whereas this fits more of what traditional definition of a time slip is. You didn't go anywhere. You were right here. Everything was the same for you. You experienced something that happened in the past. In the present time, mm-hmm. so it came to you, not you went to it, right? Okay, so two stories, similar experiences that they saw something that wouldn't wouldn't necessarily have been there, uh, but two different two different reasons as to why they might have experienced it, right? Okay, so the the next story is about Alf and Eileen Roberts. So in in 1993, see, we're getting, we're getting closer. We're getting closer to modern day now. 1993, Alf and Eileen Roberts were on a trip to Dunster, Somerset, UK, and were headed back to their hotel after a day of driving and sightseeing in Devon. Now, around 7.30 p.m., they realized that they were lost and they couldn't find their way back to their hotel. They ended up in an unknown village and decided to pull off and check their map. When they got out, they noticed that there was a nice polished wooden sign on the other side of the street, and that sign read, Bampton, Best Kept Village, 1976. Now, the Roberts noted that everywhere in this little village, there were tubs of these beautiful flowers. However, they noticed that the the village was eerily quiet. There was no people, no noise, no activity at all. And so they looked around and thought, wow, this is this really strange, quiet, nobody's here village. Somebody's maintaining these flowers. What, what's going on? They finally left and they did make it back to their hotel. But they were so just excited about, you know, this little village and, and the beautiful flowers and all the colors that they decided that night that they would go back the next day. When they made it back to Bampton, the village was was different. It was oddly different. The tubs of flowers they had seen the previous day were gone, as was the polished wooden sign. In fact, the entire village looked different, but it was indeed Bampton. It was then that the Roberts noticed more strange anomalies. When in the village the previous day, while checking the map, Alf had dropped a cigarette onto the map, leaving a burn mark. Now, there was no mark or evidence of burning on the map at all. When they first entered the village, their watches showed 7.30 p.m., and upon leaving, they still showed 7.30 p.m., almost as if time had stood still while they were in the village. Later after checking records for the best kept village in the UK the record showed that it actually was Bampton in 1976 but remember they originally passed through it in 1993 so how do you explain you know what the roberts experienced you know did they did they fall into a time slip did they did they find an area where Time stopped for for a brief moment for them. You know, did they did they jump backwards, you know, about 17 years to 1976 and and see this village the way it was then only to return the next day and and
0: see it in the modern day? There's some weird oddities about that story too. the the cigarette burn on the map. Right. Not being there. You know, that's, you don't hear that often in a lot of Mm -mm. time, time slip or time travel stories. That's odd. Right. And for, for both
1: of them to, to make note of the time that they looked at their watches and for both of them, their watches to have stopped. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I know there's, there's probably a lot of people that would have fun with this story, but again, like I said, you know, these were regular people on vacation, And it's odd how so many of the, all three of my stories happen, you know, in Europe. Right. You know, like, no, no, nobody, nobody wants time travel in the US, apparently. No. You know, we'll just leave it to the Europeans.
0: Nothing, nothing interesting (laughs) to go back to, you know. But that does, you know, that does to me sound like, that sounds more like a time travel than the other two because of the watch. Mhm. because you get to a certain point and you hit a wormhole or a tear. Okay. And you go back to you go back to 1976. Well, then when you come back and you're leaving, you hit that wormhole again and you come right back to the same time you were. So that, to me, is more of a time travel yeah. as what physicists would say time travel is. Mm-hmm. Than the other two,
1: yeah. And if you if you like that wormhole theory, it, it fits in here really nicely. Mm-hmm. Or else, Adam and I can make it fit.
0: Yeah, we've you know, crammed a square peg into a round hole. The there.
1: idea that you've you've accidentally gotten into this loop, mm-hmm. and you're you're witnessing for a very brief moment this this village in this time in 1976. But one thing that I I kind of thought. and and I went over this story a few times is what if the reason they didn't see anybody moving around or hear any noise or notice any activity was because it was frozen. Yeah. That they, they were moving through time, but the village or at least the image of the village they were seeing from 1976 wasn't correct. You know, it was, time was stopped for them Mm -hmm. and while they're there, They're not progressing through time anymore until they leave, which would be the idea of they went out the other end of the wormhole. Right. And time starts up again. You know, but when they go back, maybe they changed course. Maybe they went a different way. Maybe they didn't do exactly the same thing they did the day before because they weren't lost. They knew where they were going. And when they got there. They didn't hit the wormhole and they're seeing the village in actual modern present time,
0: Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that, that brings up that thing where, you know, like you said, you didn't hit the wormhole exactly. Yeah. And, or it was gone. Yeah. It it could have closed up already, you know, but like you said, if, if they're going there again and they know where they're going, they're going to take a slightly different path. It's not a meandering path. Right. And if you take a meandering path, you're not really going to remember every step you took, everything. So what if it required a certain set of steps, moves, or for you to hit a certain point at a certain time Mm -hmm. for this wormhole to open and for you to be able to see it? And because they didn't do that the second time, then it's just normal present day.
1: Yeah. Which which now leads into my dissertation on chaos theory. Uh how you can No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, do we have another two hours? No. No, we're not, we're not gonna do that. But that chaos theory goes into the idea that you you can't do the same thing uh, repeatedly, exactly the same. There's subtle differences always. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, if you look at what what Stephen Hawking had said, um, you know, that kind of fits in. You know, you you don't do something exactly the same way. The wormhole, you know, opens and closes so fast. You know, this could have been what happened. You know, could have been a lot of things. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be totally made up, you know, but it's it's fun to think of the idea that, you know, there's a couple out there that actually believe that they witnessed, you know, a village in its state from 17 years prior. Right. You know, pretty cool. All right. So, yeah, everything I've mentioned so far happened in Europe. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about something that happened right here in the U.S. Uh-oh. All right. So what we're going to talk about now, um, I, I think if you, if you like conspiracy theory stuff, if you like to read about, you know, Area 51 and, you know, things like that,
0: you've come across this right all right and so. this one actually Matt and I have talked about expanding into right. its own full episode and
1: and and the conversation I had with Amanda earlier today um, you know made us kind of feel like this this would be uh, a, a much a much longer episode and uh, but we're gonna touch on it tonight because it, it it is it does pertain to what we're talking about. And it is extremely interesting because of of some of the characters that are involved and some of the information that has been put out there. Um, a lot of it sounds like the uh, a screenplay for a sci fi movie, mm-hmm. and a lot of what is in this story has been made into movies right. and books. And for the most part, it's widely you know viewed as fiction. Right. or as or a hoax, but we're going to go into the Philadelphia Experiment and Project Montauk. So let, let, let's start with the earliest. So the Philadelphia Experiment, if you if you know what it is, this is going to be kind of a, a very um, cliff note version. Uh, if you don't, uh, this may entice you to go and, and do a little bit more reading on it.
0: Or don't and wait for our episode on That's
1: it. That's right. The Philadelphia Experiment was an alleged military experiment by the United States Navy in which the destroyer escort ship, the USS Eldridge, was claimed to have been made invisible to enemy devices. The experiment took place on or around October 28, 1943. Now, As the story goes, while the Eldridge was invisible, it was teleported from the naval shipyard in Philadelphia to New York subsequently through time to another dimension where it encountered aliens. The teleportation supposedly caused the death of several sailors, some of which were described as being fused to the hull of the ship. Now, that's, you know, there's been some books and movies that have touched on this kind of stuff that, you know, Traveling through time can can rip your body apart or it separates your body into molecules and then puts you back together. Right. And if you're touching something else, it may get confused and fuse you together. Okay. Now, in 1955, astronomer and UFO buff Morris K. Jessup received two two letters from one Carlos M. Allende, who claimed to have witnessed the event. Now Jessup dismissed the letters, calling Elende a quote unquote crackpot, and the Philadelphia experiment was concluded to be a hoax. But in nineteen fifty-seven, Jessup received a package from the Office of Naval Research which contained a copy of his book, The Case for the UFO, which he had written just prior and published just prior to the letter he got in the letters he got in nineteen fifty five. Now Jessup describes the book as having been highly notated, with handwritten notes in the margin in differing shades of pink. He said it appeared to be communication between three individuals, named Jimmy, Mr. A, and Mr. B. After examining the notes, Jessup decided that most of the handwriting appeared to be that of Allende, and the other experts agreed that it appeared to be the same hand using three different pens. And again, the experiment seemed to be a hoax. Now, the curious thing about uh, about Jessup and his involvement is this. He had attempted to continue to do his writing on UFO research and, and things like that, but he, he never had any success. He lost his publisher. He, he couldn't get any of his writings out there. And he had a downturn in his life, and he eventually committed suicide. So. There, there's no uh, there's no Jessup to talk to, and there isn't any further research about this, which you know if you're a conspiracy theorist you know oh somebody took him out he 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 learned too much but you know they actually published um this uh his book with the notations they made about a hundred copies of it I mean it wasn't like New York Times bestseller. But they, they did make some copies of it, so there were copies of it available with, with the notations. Um, but it, it's just curious. So this leads us up to, to Project Montauk. Now, Project Montauk is an alleged series of secret U.S. projects that occurred at the Montauk Air Force Station on Montauk, Long Island, ranging from the development of psychological warfare, teleportation, contact with aliens, and time travel. Now, Preston Nichols wrote a series of books about his involvement in the Montauk project based on repressed memories. His claim is that project Montauk was a later offshoot of a successful Philadelphia experiment, which by his description caused a rip in the space time continuum. Now, again, again, Most people view Nichols' books as fiction, but he claims that he was there and witnessed this and that Project Montauk occurred because the Philadelphia experiment was real and did happen. So, you know, without that, he's saying Project Montauk wouldn't have been needed. And we have no evidence of this at all. Because it was so top secret, there's nothing out there for anybody to really investigate. However, Nichols, a man named Stuart Swerdlow, and a man named Al Bilek were featured in a 2015 documentary entitled Montauk Chronicles, where they described their involvement in the project. Al Bilek who claims to be a survivor of the Philadelphia experiment, explains that he and another individual named Duncan jumped overboard from the USS Eldridge after the successful experiment. Experiment, Expecting to hit the water, the men were surprised when they didn't. Instead, traveling or flying through clouds and other strange phenomena, eventually waking up in the hospital. Now, Bilick reports that the hospital staff deferred answering questions about what they were there for, only being told that they were there for non-nuclear radiation burns. Now, his idea on this is that in order to to time travel, you become exposed to high levels of non-nuclear radiation. It's not nuclear, but it's still harmful to the body. Right. Okay. So, this is his idea as to why they were there. Now, Bilak explains that he and Duncan were in the hospital for four weeks. And during that time, they were able to watch a lot of television, where he notes that there were shows on television that they had never heard of, nor had they ever seen a television of that size, which, you know, he describes what we would know today as a large flat screen, you know, on a wall. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, in 1943, they didn't have that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So after after they had asked, hey, can we see a map of the United States? They said, yeah, sure. So they provide them a map. Bialik explains that at this point, most of California was covered by water. And that the East Coast was only about three miles away from Atlanta. So pretty much North and South Carolina, um, you know, half of Georgia, you know, a large portion of Florida, Washington, D.C., were underwater, you know, so they were gone. Um, he says the Mississippi River took on a lot of different changes as well. Uh, he he describes, you know, how how parts of uh, Manhattan Island were different. And he really goes into a lot of detail. He, he goes into detail about what Europe looked like and and the city so he he asked um you know what what what's what's it like out here now you know you know how how many people are in the world you know what's the world population and they gave him a number that seemed almost unbelievable then he said well what about within the u.s and they said oh the u.s population is somewhere around 500,000 i mean that's You know, that's not a lot of people. Mm -mm. I mean, Nashville's got more than 500 people in it, you know. But then he goes on to explain that there was essentially no government and the country was under military rule and they were in an attempt to rebuild the country. And he was told that this occurred in 2137, Hmm. which is where he was. So. He goes into more detail about, you know, what he experienced and, you know, he eventually, he and Duncan both got out of the hospital and began to explore and go around and while he's adventuring one day and looking around, he, he walks into something that he, he, he gets a funny feeling, you know, where he feels like he's being moved, you know, through something. And. And he comes out on the other side, and he's alone. And, and Duncan's no longer there. And this is where he was kind of stuck for a good while. And so he, he begins to document what he experienced between the years 2749 to 2753. And he describes floating cities, changes in civilization, a computer-controlled society with no money, no banks, and no political jurisdiction. So, essentially, what he's describing is, is a city-state. You know, each city was its own entity and had its own, um, not government, but its own way of life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he says that the cities were were up and not out. You know, see, they were still land-based cities. You know that spread outward, but he said these floating cities went upward to about you know twenty two thousand stories. And he uh, he describes himself asking a lot of questions to the people that he encounters, and he says, you know, how do how do they do this? You know, what kind of material is this that would allow you to build a building that's this tall? And he said it it would normally it would it would crumble under its own weight. They said, oh, yeah, yeah, it would. It would. But the same anti-gravity platforms that we use to levitate the city, we, we put one about every, you know, 300 stories. And so essentially, you know, 300 stories is levitated above the the 300 stories below it, hmm. and so forth and so on, so that they can continue. So each time they build additional stories to these immensely tall buildings that that they're they're just levitating more up on top of it so Bilik recorded a video in April of 2000 where it's essentially him sitting behind a desk and he's just he's talking it, it's and it's almost a, a stream of consciousness thing um, it's it's pretty amazing it's it's tough to get through at times because it's it's essentially just somebody sitting in front of a video camera and he's he's behind a desk and, you know, he'll stop and drink water and he'll cough and he'll sneeze. And, you know, you you can hear him breathe in at times and, you know, he'll pause for a period, you know, so it. When you watch it, it doesn't sound like the lunatic ravings that you would expect. And it's long. It's almost two hours long, you know, so you look at this and you listen to him describe what he experienced while he was there and how he got back to 1943 and what he experienced with the government at that point, you know, knowing that he had, he had done this, um, reuniting with Duncan. And the I couldn't, again, this, this would be a whole nother episode just on this, just on the stories from the Philadelphia Experiment and Project Montauk. Um, But if you believe that these things really happened, then you have to believe, even if they were unsuccessful, you have to believe that at some point in history, they believed that they could do it, Mm -hmm. or they, they figured out something different with the way the universe worked. And they wanted to push it as far as they could and just see what happens. You know, nowadays, you know, that's almost unheard of because everything is so restricted and regulated, they're not going to let anybody do anything to the public knowledge that would be detrimental to, you know, human life or society in general. But in 1943, you know, the military pretty much could do whatever they wanted. And soldiers were property. You know, you, you did what you were told. And taking these soldiers and saying, we're going to put them on this boat. We're going to do this experiment and see if we can run this boat through time. Um, You know, like I said, you, 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 you got to open up your mind to this. But if you think did it happen, and they failed, but they thought they thought they knew what was going to happen. They had an idea, you know, or was it just a hoax? Was it just a really great story? And you know, is is Al Billick and uh, uh, the other guys we mentioned are, are they just feeding into it? Were they brainwashed? Were they convinced that this is what happened? Were they hypnotized and put these suggestions in their? in their mind. And, and maybe, maybe that's why Nichols is is saying he's getting repressed memories. You know, maybe he did see something that he wasn't supposed to, maybe it wasn't time travel, but maybe there was an experiment that the government didn't need getting out. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to brainwash this guy, you know, psychological warfare was, you know, there's documented evidence that they investigated this. So if they looked at this, you know, could they have taken this guy and said, all right, we're going to mess with this dude to the point that, Whatever he comes up with, everybody's going to think he's a he's nuts. You know, they're not going to listen to him. So, um, you know, we're going to dig into this deeper at another time. But it, like I said, we mentioned it tonight because it it speaks to what what we're going over. You know, is time travel real? Uh, is it possible? You know, I think Adam and I neither one of us believe that it's 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 a legit thing yet. Um. And then we certainly haven't haven't learned how to do it or how to control it, but that enough strange occurrences have happened that make you think, well, may, maybe it's possible. Maybe it's not possible in the idea that we're going to go to the year three thousand and look around. But maybe there's something to it that we just don't know yet, and the the universe just kind of you know, hits a reset button or you get a glitch in the matrix and then you you have one of these crazy experiences that makes you think, man, did I just go back in time? Did I just jump forward in time?
0: To me, the time slip theory is a lot more valid than the time travel theory because time travel to harness that and everything seems a little difficult and seems like something out of our reach at the moment. Um, but for it to happen sporadically and you just to kind of show up somewhere accidentally through, you know, the freak of the cosmos, I, I can see that being a legitimate thing right. happening. Right. Um, but like Matt said, we'll, we're going to dig into the Philadelphia experiment and all that and make it a complete episode because it has, hours of material that we can
1: uh, dive into and a lot of offshoots and a lot of other things have been uh attributed to what went on during that time and and there's there's more information to cover so i i think you know if if you like if you like just a little bit we shared about it tonight i think you'll dig that too learning more and more about it this is time travel and uh you know I don't know what else to say about it. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's getting late. It's about three o'clock in the morning on, uh, December 4th, uh, 2079. So yeah. When you're li- <laughs> when you're listening
0: to this in 2104. That's then. right.
1: You know, it, you know, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun thing to talk about, you know, the idea.
0: So, uh, it's fun until you start trying to look into the special relativity. Right. And then- right. And then your brain goes for like a day. So, uh, so Mr. Peabody, that's all I got. Yeah, that's all I got. So hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitters, all that good stuff. Um, Let us know if you've heard anything about time travel that we didn't cover or if you think it's just full of malarkey and that it it doesn't (laughs) happen. Um, But. Hit us up, let us know, and we will see you guys next week.